0: to our Sunday evening service. We're going to begin our time together this evening with singing, and our first song speaks of our commitment to serving the God who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's sing, O my soul, arise and bless your maker. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that as we've been singing, you are a God of amazing grace, that you are rich in mercy, that you have saved us from our sins and have given us new life. We thank you that these truths are always true. That they are unchanging, that they are our hope in all times. And in these days of uncertainty, we pray that we would hold firm to these certain truths. We pray that these truths would not get stale for us. And we pray that as we've been singing, you would stir in us the songs that you are singing, fill our gaze with things as yet unseen working in us to make us more like Jesus. We pray this evening for the many who are anxious and fearful in these days. We pray that they would look to you to find peace. We pray for the sick and the sorrowing, that they would look to you and find their hope in you. We pray for the hurting and grieving. We pray that they would look to you for comfort, comfort that only you can provide. And we pray for sinners, that they would turn to you for salvation. And we thank you that we can ask these things because you are over all things. We thank you that you are the God who has conquered sin and death You have the victory over that which causes all of the problems we face in this life. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we place our hope and our trust. Amen. There are many ways uh, in which the Bible uh, describes the rule of God over his people. So, for example, we read of God as our king, our shepherd, as a husband, as a father. But this evening, we're going to read of a different kind of rule, uh, that of a gardener who expects fruit to be given to him. However, as ever in the Old Testament of the Bible, we find how God's people so often have rejected his rule over them. And we find this description of God as as a gardener expecting fruit which isn't given to him in Isaiah chapter 5 and verses 1 to 7. And Gary is going to read that to us now.
1: Isaiah 5 verses 1 to 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress.
0: If God is the owner of a vineyard, then he deserves the fruit of the vineyard. And our next song praises God as the one who tends and cares for his people and to whose feet the tribute of his people is brought. Let's sing Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. In your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 21, and this evening uh, we're going to be looking at verses 33 down to verse 46. Matthew chapter 21, 33 to 46. <clears throat> uh, in our children's work, uh, we often use uh, questions and answers uh, to teach biblical truth. And one of the questions that we often ask is this, why did God create the world? I wonder if you would be able to answer this question. And in fact, I would be surprised if many of the children who have been to Discoverers or to a holiday club are unable <clears throat> to answer the question, why did God create the world? Well, the question, why did God create the world, has this answer. For his own glory. The reason why we are here and the reason why all of creation has been made is so that we give glory to God. Uh, the, uh, a verse in, uh, the, in the Psalms uh, says the heavens declare the glory of God. That's why they are there. But the problem is that we don't want to give God glory We want to do things our own way, and so we reject that loving rule of God over us, and that rebellion is called sin. And we're in a section of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus has come into Jerusalem claiming to be the king that has God's authority. But the religious leaders who had authority in Jerusalem are not happy because their authority is under threat and so they begin to challenge Jesus. They want to run the world their own way. They don't want God's king over them. They don't want to give him glory. They want to do things their own way, just like we do. And Jesus is going to speak a parable in these verses, which asks the question, why did God create the world, and gives the answer really in a metaphoric way. The metaphoric way is God created the world, or created, in this instance, his vineyard, to bear fruit. That's the point, really, of the parable of the tenants. The religious leaders are challenging Jesus' authority, his claim to do what he does when he comes into Jerusalem on the donkey and as he turns over the tables in the temple in Jerusalem. And as they challenge Jesus' authority, Jesus gives the religious leaders three parables. And we looked at one last week, that of the two sons. The two sons showed us that God's authority is with Jesus and so that we all must submit to him. And in this next parable, we learn how that submission to Jesus means bearing fruit and giving God the fruit, the God who is the creator of the vineyard. So let's see how that works out as we read Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, Let's kill him and take the inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is God's word. In in the Bible, uh, we read of God being the owner of the whole world. But the Bible speaks in a different way about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is where he reigns in a special way over a special people. This reign shows the whole world what God is like and how he will save the world from their sins. And the way these special people are supposed to live under God's rule, is supposed to show the world what life under God is like. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, this special people was called Israel. In the parable we've just read, God's kingdom, his vineyard, is the place of his special rule. And at the beginning, it represents Israel. As we saw in our Bible reading in Isaiah chapter 5, the Old Testament speaks of Israel as God's vineyard. In Isaiah 5, the vineyard is lovingly created, but the fruit that was produced was bad, and so the vineyard was destroyed. Let me read to you again from Isaiah 5 and verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Israel was supposed to produce the fruit of justice and righteousness. But what came forth was bloodshed and cries of distress. Israel was supposed to show the world what God is like, and by the wonderful fruit that they were producing. But they didn't do that. The thought process behind this parable in Matthew's gospel comes from this section in Isaiah. When God creates a vineyard, God expects fruit. And in verse 33... Of Matthew 21, we read of a landowner which is obviously God, and the vineyard which is his kingdom, specifically the people of Israel. He creates the vineyard and he rents it out to tenants. And the first thing we see here is how the tenants are cared for. Notice how the landlord carefully creates the vineyard in verse 33. One writer describes it like this He builds the wall to keep out animals, a watchtower to guard against the thieves and to guard against fire, and a wine press is dug to squeeze the grapes right there in the vineyard. All of this shows his confidence that his vineyard will bear fruit. Now, a vineyard was an investment. The idea was that the landlord would own the vineyard, he would rent it out to tenants, and the tenants would pay the landlord a portion of the fruit that would have been agreed. And at set times in the year, mostly at harvest time, the landlord would send people to the vineyard to collect the fruit that was his, which was his return on his investment. And so in verse 34, we read that it was harvest time. And the the landlord sends his servants to collect the fruit, which was rightfully his. Now, there are two important truths to note here in these verses, 33 and 34. The first thing to notice is How the vineyard is so well cared for by the owner so that the tenants, when they come to the vineyard, have all that they need to bear fruit. That's an allusion, really, to how in the Old Testament, God brought Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. We read this in Psalm 80, verses 8 to 11. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. So God's people, Israel, here are described as a vine that he brings up from Egypt and plants in a vineyard. And this describes the way that God brings them out of slavery and into the promised land, a wonderful land of their own. And in that land, God gave them all that they needed to bear fruit for him. That fruit was lives lived for his glory. And so in that land, they had the law, And they had the presence of God with them in the temple, which was all that they needed to bear the fruit that God expected from them. And so the tenants in the parable, in Matthew's gospel, are the people of Israel. So God owns the vineyard and the people of Israel are the tenants whom he lets the vineyard out to. And God cares for them and provides for them so that in his vineyard they can bear fruit. That's the first thing we should notice. The second thing we should notice is this that God owns the vineyard and so has a right to the fruit of the vineyard. I mean, that was the the whole purpose of making it. He makes it so that it would bear fruit. Now, what was the fruit that God was looking for? Well, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 7, we saw that it was justice and righteousness. Israel were made to bring God's blessing to all people. And they were to do that by being a light to the world around them, by showing them what relationship with God was like. And one of the ways that that was shown was by justice and righteousness. And those two lessons are important for us as well, how God has cared for his vineyard and how God owns it and has a right to the fruit. Because although we are not Israel, God is actually the owner of the whole world. So in Psalm 24, verses one and two we read, "The earth is the Lord's and everything in it." the world and all who live in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Humanity is included in everything. And the purpose God made the world was for his own glory. So, so if you like, we are tenants in God's world, and we are made to bear the fruit of giving him glory with our lives. God has made a beautiful world for us to live in, He's made all that we need to thrive and bring him glory. And here's the thing. He has the right as the owner to that glory. He has the right to expect our obedience to him. But instead of giving him glory, instead of of bearing fruit, we are like the tenants in the parable. We see that the tenants are Callous. The landowner has sent his servants to collect the fruit, which is rightfully his, and the tenants are repeatedly callous in how they treat the servants that God sends. And the tenants do three things. First of all, they withhold the fruit, they don't give the fruit to the owner. Secondly, they abuse the servants. And thirdly, they kill the son. So when the servants come, they don't hand over the fruit. They withhold the fruit. And instead of handing it over, they use their hands to beat one, kill another, and stone a third. And then in verse 36, the same thing happens to the next lot of servants that come. And he sends even more servants the second time. But however many servants the owner sends, the tenants are repeatedly callous in how they treat them. Now, now why are they doing this? Why don't they, they just give the fruit to the tenant, to the, to the servants? Because in any arrangement with a the vineyard, there was some fruit that the tenants could have for themselves, but, but instead they, they don't give any of the share to the owner, which is rightfully his. Well, here's the point. If a vineyard owner did not claim the fruit, the, in the law of the time, the tenants would have the right to keep the vineyard for themselves. The ownership of that vineyard would pass over to the tenants. In fact, the time limit was three years. If in, within three years no fruit was claimed, the vineyard would pass over to the to the tenants. And so what they were trying to do was to claim ownership of the vineyard for themselves. That's what they were trying to do. Have it for themselves. They didn't want to want to give fruit to the landlord because they wanted the vineyard for themselves. And this pictures Israel in the Old Testament. They continually withheld the fruit of obedience to God because they wanted to run things their own way and so god encouraged them to bear fruit by sending his servants the prophets who preached to them and showed them the way back to god but the prophets were treated in the same way as the servants in the parable so so for example the prophet jeremiah was beaten in first kings chapter 18 jezebel murders God's prophets. And in Second Chronicles 24, a prophet named Zechariah was stoned. So beaten, killed, and stoned was exactly what happened to the prophets in the Old Testament. It's a clear allusion to what was going on in those places in the Old Testament. And so in verse 37, the landlord sends his son. And the son comes with the authority of the father. And he was the heir of the vineyard. And so he deserved the respect and obedience of those tenants. That was the expectation of the time. And that was the expectation here of the father. But notice in verse 38 how the tenants want the vineyard for themselves. And they think that they can achieve this by killing the heir. Now, they may have thought that the the, the, the son has come because the father is dead. And so they think, well, if we kill the heir, then the vineyard is ours. Or they might have thought, well, if we kill the son, the father is going to think that this is too much trouble and so... Uh, won't bother sending anybody else. He's He sent his servants, but if we kill the son, well, the vineyard will be ours. Either way, their motive was to have the vineyard for themselves. And so in verse 39, they throw the son out of his own vineyard and they kill him. Now, there's no uh, prizes for guessing who the son in the story is. Of course, it represents Jesus Christ. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he is going to be killed. If you, if you just flip back to Matthew chapter 20, in verses 18 and 19, we read this. We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. That's the people this parable is being spoken to. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. So he told his disciples that this was going to happen, and in the parable here, he's telling the religious leaders that this is going to happen. Israel were continually callous toward God by being so towards his servants. Now... They will be towards his son. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14, we read about this. There we read that the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And we're going to see how that is played out as Matthew takes us in the chapters to come towards the cross. All of us, just like the tenants in the parable, have also withheld fruit from God that is rightfully his. We want to run our lives, we want to run the world our own way. And God deserves and expects fruit from us, and he has sent his messengers to show us how we can bear that fruit. His message is in the Bible. The Bible shows us what God expects. So, for example, last week we looked at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one of God's messengers, and he preached how we need to repent. And if you remember, repent means a a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior, where we turn from sin to God and follow his ways. And that's what uh, people who preach God's word also say. That's what I'm saying. Repent, turn from sin, and follow God's ways. And that is what Jesus Christ himself said. Jesus Christ said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we are callous towards God when we reject his call to repentance. And we reject the son whom he sent Well in this parable although his people were callous the tenants treated the servants abominably notice how god was patient with him with them he sent the servants just like he sent the prophets in the old testament again and again and again and he even sends his own son but the patience of god is not eternal there is coming a time when there will be judgment. The tenants in the parable who wanted to run things their own way, they wanted to own the vineyard, they did not reckon on the return of the vineyard owner. And so we see in the parable how the tenants are crushed. In verse 40, Jesus asks a question to the religious leaders whom the parable is aimed at. He says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So the owner of the vineyard is coming back. He's not given up on the vineyard. He will have his fruit. And in verse 41, the religious leaders uh, answer Jesus' question. They said, well, those tenants should be judged. And the judgment is twofold. They will be brought to a wretched end, which no doubt means the tenants will die. And secondly, the vineyard will be given to other tenants who will give the owner the share of the crop that he deserves. So the religious leaders get the story. They understand justice. But they can't at this point see that they are the tenants. This reminds me of a a story in the Old Testament of the Bible. King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was the wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah the Hittite. When he was found out, he had Uriah put to death. He murdered him. And the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells David a parable. He told, tells David a story of a, 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 a rich farmer who, who invited his friends over for a meal. And the rich farmer, who has loads of animals of his own, in order to feed his guests, steals the, the lamb of a poor farmer And that lamb was the only lamb that that poor farmer had. And he slaughters that poor farmer's lamb, leaving him destitute so that he could feed his guests. And David was indignant at the actions of this rich farmer. How dare he steal that poor farmer's little lamb? David had no idea that this parable spoke of his actions towards poor Uriah. And Nathan famously turns to David and says, you are the man. This story is about you. And something similar is happening here. The religious leaders see the injustice of what's going on with these tenants. And Jesus is going to show them, you are the tenants. This is about you. And he begins to do that in verse 42. Jesus says, have you never read? Now the religious leaders would have read what Jesus is about to say. They would have read these words of the Old Testament, but Jesus shows them that they have not understood what those words mean. Verse 42, this quote about the cornerstone, comes from Psalm 118 and verse 22. King David Uh, who in this psalm had many enemies that surrounded him. The other kings that surrounded him looked at David and his little kingdom of Israel with disdain. They were big and powerful empires, and David was nothing. They expected to crush David, to have victory over him. But in the psalm, we read how David was given victory by God over those enemies, And David became the king over God's people that had victory for God's people over those enemies that surrounded him. And David described himself like a stone that builders who were building a big building had rejected and thrown aside, but had become the cornerstone or the most important stone in the building. The cornerstone is literally translated as the head of the corner, and it could be one of two stones, and and commentators debate over which one it was. Either it was the stone in the foundations in the corner upon which foundations were built and the direction of the walls were set, or it was the stone in the top corner of the building which set the direction of the walls. Of the building. Either way, it doesn't really matter whether it was at the top or the bottom. The point is that the cornerstone was the most important stone. And the surprise in the psalm is that the most important stone is the one that the builders had rejected as nothing, they'd thrown it aside. And Jesus applies this to himself. Jesus is rejected. As he is killed, as he dies on the cross. As he is taken outside of Jerusalem, just like the son in the parable. And he is killed on the cross and rejected. He is seen as nothing. People looked at him as a failure. But Jesus, as he said would happen, rose from the dead, victorious. It's an amazing transformation It is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The rejected king rises victorious from the dead. And in verse 43, Jesus brings it home to these religious leaders. He says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you You who have rejected God's king and given to a people who will produce fruit. You see, these religious leaders have rejected God's son, just like in the parable. And so the vineyard is taken from them and given to others. In other words, you are the tenants, Jesus says. The word for people in verse 43 is the word ethnos, and that word means a nation. Now, Jesus doesn't mean here that Jews can no longer be in God's kingdom. Rather, Jesus is saying that there will be what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2 as one new humanity, a new people that God is making a new people that will bear fruit for him. Listen to what Paul says there in Ephesians 2. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The purpose of this new humanity, this this ethnos, that's built on Jesus Christ, is to produce fruit, to be a witness to the world. And in verse 44, those who produce fruit are those who accept the authority of the Son, of the cornerstone. Those who accept the authority of the Son to claim the fruit. And for those who reject the Son, in verse, 30, uh, verse 44, we read of their judgment. In verse 44, uh, there are more Old Testament allusions. The Old Testament spoke of a Messianic stone. Uh, Sometimes the Old Testament speaks of falling on the stone, and sometimes the Old Testament speaks of the stone coming and destroying by crushing people. So, for example, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15 speak like this He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah, He will be a stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. Notice here it speaks of the people of Jerusalem, which is what the religious leaders here were. This is where the reference to falling on or over this stone comes from. Those who fall on it will be broken to pieces, just like a a clay pot is smashed against the rocks. And the reference to the stone falling on them comes from Daniel chapter 2. In that chapter of Daniel, we read of a statue that represents all the kingdoms of the world. But that statue is destroyed by a rock coming and crushing it. And that rock represents God's everlasting kingdom. In other words, through being broken on it or crushed by it, those who reject Jesus Christ as the cornerstone are going to be doomed by him. I feel like there's a clash of kingdoms here. The kingdom of self, autonomy, autonomy. And the kingdom of God, and it's the kingdom of God that will be and is victorious. When the prophet Nathan told David, You are the man, David repented of his sin and he wrote Psalm 51, which is his prayer of confession. The religious leaders did not repent. And verse 45 shows that they finally get it, that the parable was about them. But in verse 46, we read that they were too scared to do anything, and what they wanted to do was kill Jesus. But they were too scared because they were scared of the people, because they, the people recognized Jesus as a prophet. And later on, as we go through the Gospels, we see how Jesus was killed, but when they came to arrest him, because they were scared of the people, they did it at night when lots of people couldn't see. The purpose of humanity is to bear fruit in God's kingdom through following Jesus Christ as king. How are you responding to God's son? Now, some of us watching this tonight claim to be Christians. Now, the lesson for us to remember is that God has brought us into his kingdom. We are the, the people whom God has now given his vineyard to in order to bear fruit in his kingdom. Now, is there something that, that you are withholding from God today? Is there, is there fruit that you're not willing to give him? Is there something that God commands that you're not willing to follow? Is there any area of your life where you're saying to God, well, I'll give you this, but I'm, I'm not going to give you that. God is the king of, a, of the kingdom. He is the owner of the vineyard, and he has a right to it all. All of our lives And so for his glory and for your joy, don't withhold anything from him. The reason you are in this local church is to bear fruit. Are you seeking to do that? The local church is an expression of God's kingdom. And in our membership commitments, we say the following statements that are to do with bearing fruit, really. We say, and we've committed to, I will seek to live a holy life as a child of God, being obedient to his word. Our relationship to other believers is is said like this, that we we express it in the faithful exercise of my God-given gifts within the corporate life of the church. So we are committing to using the gifts God has given us within the life of the church. That means bearing fruit. Are you doing that? And we say, I seek to bear a distinct witness to God in the world by word and quality of life, doing good to all and making known the gospel for the salvation of mankind. These are all basically commitments to bear fruit and give it to God. Now, some watching this may not be followers of Jesus. You may be rejecting his authority over you. Well, you have a choice to make this evening. You can submit to Jesus and share in his victory, or you will be crushed by his judgment. And I would encourage all of us to look and think of how God has cared for us by giving us so much. He's given us all that we need to thrive in his kingdom. And the only response that is right is to give him his due. Fruitful lives to his glory. And our final song speaks of how we commit to doing that all our days. the builders rejected has become the cornerstone the lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes the lord has done it this very day let us rejoice today and be glad amen